Father, we ask that You would minister to us through Your Holy Spirit as we open Your Word this morning. We commit this time to You in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Back in the book of Matthew this morning, the fifth chapter, finishing up the Beatitudes, looking at verse 10, 11, and 12 this morning. Jesus speaking says, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Kind of a a different way of looking at things. Blessed are the persecuted. Uh, Coming after the... Ideas that are spoken of here as to being poor in spirit and you know, uh, mourning over your sins, meek, humble before the throne of God as you receive His salvation, hungering and thirsting after God, and so on. And um, I think it was Sinclair Ferguson who was saying, uh, you get down to this point and it just doesn't sound like this is the way it should go. Persecution. I mean, I'm doing all of these things. If I'm doing them right, you're telling me that there's going to be persecution. And the answer to that is yes, there will be persecution. Uh, Paul makes that clear as he writes to Timothy and and, uh, uh, he says that there's very plain and simple, there's going to be persecution. Jesus makes it clear in, in John, which we'll look at in a few minutes. So here we have, blessed are those that are persecuted for righteousness' sake. And understand there, it's not for my sake or for, but it's for Christ's righteousness, if you will, because uh, the next uh, way down, it, it, it's, you know, it, it says, uh, blessed are you when they revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of, of evil against you falsely on my account. And tying those two thoughts together, his righteousness working through us. And like I said, we normally, when we think of persecution, uh, I, I'm assuming that you're probably like I am. I, I don't. I think in big terms, uh, big events, uh, major types of things, life-threatening types of things. Um, certainly, there is a persecution of the church going on in the world today that is, I think, is as serious as you will find any time in history. In the sense of what's going on, is certainly in the Middle East. North Africa, uh, China, other areas, where just to profess Christianity is to put your life on the line. I recall when we had uh, the librarian uh, choir here. Uh, They were a group of of, of young uh, men, uh, most of them, or all of them orphans, Uh, all of them blind uh, from the uh, wars that were going on. And one of them recalled that his village, the fact it was the pastor who traveled with them, recalling the village being overrun by a Muslim group. And uh, his father, who was the the pastor in the village, uh, was pulled out into the middle of the street, beheaded in front of everyone. And uh, he had to grow up living with that. And what does he do? He becomes a pastor. <coughs> Excuse me. It didn't dissuade him at all. He saw persecution all around him and it didn't thwart his, his ambition to serve God and to be counted uh, among those who would be persecuted. And he had experienced some of that himself. And so uh, those are the kinds of things that normally I think of in, 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 in when I'm somebody says persecution. But Jesus makes it clear in verse 11 that he's also talking about when, you, when people revile you or when they persecute you or utter all kinds of evil against you. 
again, because of Jesus working through you, because of your relationship with Christ. They do these things. Luke chapter 6 is a parallel set of verses with this. And uh, he says that the believer is blessed when people hate you. And the word for hate here is to detest. Or, or <laughs> I probably should have put it this way, is to love someone less, even to the point where it says you detest them. Okay? So, even till I, I, somebody becomes a Christian, you have a lower self, uh, esteem of that person. That's the form of this word. You know, you, you, they've diminished in your sight and down to the point where you detest them. Uh, so, blessed are you when people hate you, um, exclude you. The idea is to limit your involvement in, in, in things, to, to separate themselves from you, to sever the relationship. I don't know if, how many of you experienced uh, any of that in your life. I didn't become a Christian until I was 26. And we were um, just a, a, a group of people that we had been very close friends with. Um, we had uh, shared a, a number of great experiences together as families. Um, we, we spent the summers uh, at, in Lake Oroville on a houseboat together every evening. Uh, whoever got off work first ran down to the, to the, the docks, got the houseboat trimmed and, and ready to go, and, and then started the barbecue. And uh, it was, uh, you know, just uh, we had our kids at the same, our first children at the same time, and uh, really close friends. And when we moved away, uh, back to Atascadero, we went back for a, uh, during a, the following Christmas. And in between that time that we had moved and, and, and I had accepted the Lord, Kathy and I had started going to church. And uh, my friend uh, made it very clear after our visit that we weren't welcome there anymore. Please don't come back. Yeah. And uh, what was coming from him was that idea that we don't want any of that stuff in my house. The irony of that is that two years earlier, he and I were on the same page. I didn't want any of that in my house. And I think it, it, it probably intimidated him a little bit. If they can get to Bob, they might be able to get to me or something like that. Yeah. And uh, so you get that experience of being excluded. Uh, even, even sometimes in your families. Uh, you, you find that you know, the people don't know what to do. Some, some members of, of my family are, are Catholic and they're still not sure what to call me. You know, they'll, do we call you Father Bob? Uh, you know, they're not you know, sure what to do with me. And uh, the other thing is, is that other parts of our family that uh, uh, when they have get-together never think to pray over a meal. But if we're there, it's kind of like, uh-oh, uh, Bob, would you, you pray, please? And uh, I appreciate that they see the difference, but you can also feel the tension. So this idea of, of, of persecution is a lighter form, if you will, than what I normally think of. Uh, when they hate you in the sense of loving you less, they exclude you. Uh, they're, they're kind of un, uncomfortable when you're around them. When they revile you, uh, is, uh, he uses also in Luke 6, 22 and 23. Uh, and the idea is to, to revile someone is to... Is to uh, hold them in reproach, to, to taunt them, to find fault in them, uh, assail them with abusive words is part of the, uh, the, the picture. So uh, to revile you is to put you down, to, 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 to openly put you down. And I, I, again, I've seen that many times where you get into a circle of, uh, of educated uh, people in the sense of, of educators, uh, I've had many opportunities in my lifetime to do that, and uh, as soon as they find out that, that you know, uh, you know, kind of like, where did you go to school? You know, well, I went to Cal Poly, and there's a big smile on their face, and then I say, and then I went to San Jose Bible College. Are you one of those? Yeah, uh, you can see the difference immediately. Cal Poly was fine, San Jose Bible College. I don't know what what's that? You know, are you and and you can you can almost read their minds. And then you, you do hear some of the comments come back. Are you a, a Bible thumper? <laughs> I guess I am. Um, 
So they find fault with you. They, they, they taunt you. They, they'll make jokes about you, uh, this type of thing. And to spurn you is another word that Jesus uses here in Luke chapter 6. Uh, uh, to uh, you know, spurn your name as evil. And the idea of evil here is, is bad, harmful, wicked. Um, a person who is, is uh, going to be a troublemaker. You're going to be a troublemaker. And the idea to spurn this troublemaker is to eject, cast out, or expel. We don't want you here. And there were many places that Paul traveled. They, they, they saw them as the troublemakers. Go to Acts chapter 17, I think it is, where it's, they're going through and trying to find Paul and raiding a home and all this kind of stuff. And, and they're saying, we're, you know, these guys who are turning the world upside down have come here. And we don't want them here. Turning the world upside down. They're troublemakers. They're agitators. They're, you know, that's the way they were perceived. And... and these guys didn't want anything to, to do with them. And in fact, so much so that uh, they were ready to, to uh, drag him out into a public place, although he had already gone. Um, Paul was, that did happen more than once to Paul, though. And so all of these pictures is, is blessed are you when people hate you, exclude you, revile you, spurn you. Or, or here in, in Matthew chapter 5, blessed are you when others revile you, persecute you, utter all kinds of evil against you. All of this is that picture of, of, of persecution at a different level. Early, early church, some of the things that other than, you know, most of us know about the horrendous persecutions and the terrible things that happened in various arenas and, and different things like that of, of, of murdering and, and, and killing the Christians in, in all sorts of crazy and bizarre ways. But on the lighter side, if you can call it that, in the sense of more in this line of, a, of, of revile and utter all kinds of evil, Christians were called cannibals. Why would they be called cannibals? They ate the, the body of, of Christ. They drank the blood of Christ. They were called cannibals. They had love orgies. Well, because they were all into this word agape and love and greet each other with a kiss and, and, and a number of things uh, uh, that go with that and, and uh, uh, love uh, one another, keep no list of wrongs. It's just, uh, you know, if, if God is in you, you will express it through love. Uh, just mis- corruption of what was really happening. Um, considered revolutionaries, and it's, it's interesting today, those people who don't know Christ but see him as a historical figure frequently think of him still as a revolutionary. The church was looked at as a revolutionary because they were abandoning tradition. They were accused uh, by the Jews as to coming against the laws of God. Uh, they were accused of the, by the Roman government by uh, not obeying the laws of Rome, the key law being that you must bow a knee to Caesar. Caesar was considered a god, not the god, a god. And all they were asking is, and this is how strong that you had to draw the line at this point. All that Rome was asking was that you will just give an acknowledgement. You don't have to believe it. Just acknowledge it for the sake of peace. Sounds pretty innocuous. Who's going to care? I had a good friend of mine, Glenn Chap, that I that I uh, worked with for a, a few years, and I remember sitting with him as uh, we were talking about it. I had just become a Christian and and was taking a stand, and he was talking about some the ideas of the early church and persecution. He says, "Why didn't they?" And in fact, this was one of the areas we talked. About. He says, "Why didn't they just wave at Caesar and say, okay, you got it?' You know, who cares?" And then just go on. And, and the reality is, is that because who we are in Christ says. We can't do that. We will not do that. We, we will not play any kind of a game with our faith. Our faith is, is solid. It's real. It's, it's personal. And, and Christ in me. No, I can't bow a knee to Caesar. And as a result, there was a great persecution that began. 
I was looking at it today, thinking the areas of uh, that that church uh, goers experienced some of these kinds of of things in the sense of of, of, of you know spurning and 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 uttering all kinds of evil about you and stuff and, and, and what are said about church members today by the world. And when I say the world, I mean the, the secular world, the, the world that is outside of, of Christ. And uh, frequently, you know, how John refers to it in, in his gospel and his letters. One of the things they will call us is, is that we are extremely narrow-minded. We have no room to consider any other, quote, truth as a result because we only believe in one truth, Jesus Christ. And as a result, we spurn all other truth and therefore we are narrow-minded. And as a result, we are troublemakers in our narrow-mindedness. If we're pro-life, we're automatically labeled as anti-women's rights. Just listen to the news. Any point this last week as uh, abortion was brought up uh, by one of the presidential candidates and they said, you mean? And he says, look, if, you, if we're going to agree that life is, is, is at the point of conception, then they have all of the civil rights that anyone else has. Okay? In other words, that's where life begins. And they were saying, well, that, but, but that's excluding the, the women's right to choose for herself how she wants to deal with her body. And so, uh, and you can see where they were pushing it. They were trying to label him an anti-rights person for women. One of the key things that is, is and it's been already brought out uh, in, in uh, the, some of the Political arenas now as, as uh, those that have taken a stand against uh, gay marriage, that they are homophobic. You know, they're, they, 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 that, uh, and as a result, we are trying to crush the rights of somebody, someone else. And uh, a number of types of those things that come out, we're exclusive. We exclude people. I want you to understand that some of these terms, in a sense, you could turn around and say, well, there's some truth to that. I am narrow-minded in the context that I am on a narrow path. Okay? But I don't look at it the way the world's trying to put it. I look at it as being Christ-minded. And if you're Christ-minded, actually my mind is, is broader than it has ever been in understanding the things of the universe, the things of, of life and the interaction of relationships and everything else. If anything, I've got a broader understanding of everything than I've ever had before. Uh, the person that, that looks at Christianity and excludes it you know, and says, no, we won't have anything to do with it, actually is maybe the other side of narrow-minded. It's not broad-minded. Maybe you could say that we are exclusive in the sense that we believe in Christ alone. The gospel in Christ only. Paul makes it clear, any other gospel that comes along that does not teach you what has been taught by me. And I don't, he said, I don't care if it comes from an angel. And there are two religions that I can think of right now that, that, that claim angelic beginnings. One is Mormonism. Some people say, well, that was a hoax. I don't know that it was. Paul kind of set a stage that that was something that could happen. But it wouldn't be an angel of God. Okay? And Muhammad claims that he got his start with an angel. And both of them preach what Paul would clearly call another gospel. In fact, the Mormon church for a long time was advertising, even on the television, they'd show the Bible, the gospel of Jesus Christ, and the Book of Mormon, another gospel. They quit doing that because they realized that it pointed right to Galatians chapter 1 and, and, and called it out as it was, another gospel, anathema. So maybe... In that sense, you could say we are exclusive. But it's not us that are exclusive. It's the Word of God 
that has said it is this way only. Christian response to persecution is amazing. Rejoice and be glad. Rejoice and be glad. For your reward is great in heaven. It's no surprise you're in good company. They persecuted all the prophets too. You can look at uh, one of the pictures of that in Hebrews chapter 11. Starting with verse 36. Paul, is, er, the writer of Hebrews, is, is talking about uh, the, the, the saints that have gone before and, and those who... Uh, uh, were persecuted at times, and he says, Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with the sword, they went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in the deserts and mountains and in the dens and caves of the earth. And all of these, through, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised since God had provided something better for us that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. In other words, they were waiting on Christ. And, uh, and so he's saying the, the, the prophets that have gone before, and you read the Old Testament and you, you see how they were, the prophets were treated even by the religious people. And so he's saying that don't be surprised. You know, the, the people who have gone around proclaiming the word of God have been persecuted all along. So be confident. You can rejoice and be glad in the reality that God hasn't abandoned you. God hasn't isn't isn't you know you know off in some distant place you know uh, ignoring your needs, but that He is actually the one who will sustain us through all of these things, and even in the midst of them, provide opportunity to witness His kingdom, to witness His grace. I think of Paul. Chained up to Praetorian guards at various times, to the point where it says all the Praetorian guards heard the gospel, and that many of them came to know Christ. Isn't it interesting that Paul never once in his persecutions went out and 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 asked the people to to sign petitions to get him out of jail? Now there are a couple of times where he pulled rank, if you will, in the sense of his Roman citizenship. And, and, and he only, though, I think, to hold people accountable for who, what they did and, 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 and the fact that they wanted to be obeying the laws, let's obey the laws. Uh, but the idea was that Paul, in prison, he, it was almost as if he would say, now that I have been arrested, now that I have been in prison, I now have a prison ministry. Oh, they let me out. Now I have a, you know, uh, a ministry in, the, in, in Greece. Oh, they, you know, I'm back in prison again. Oh, well, a prison ministry. Philippian jailer gets uh, converted. Now, Paul, wherever he was, he looked at it as an opportunity, and I think he truly took that verse of, of, of Romans 8.28, that God works all things together for the good of those who believe, in the sense of, of through him for the sake of the kingdom as well. Uh, and, and it didn't matter where you put Paul. The result was the kingdom was, was shared. The kingdom of God was preached. The, the good news, the gospel was presented. In fact, Paul, I think, at one point he says, to live is Christ, to die is gain. It's almost as if he's saying, go ahead, Satan, take your best shot. Go ahead, world, take your best shot. Kill me. Even if you take my life, I win. Paul goes on in, in, uh, in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, uh, verse 4, where he says that uh, when when you know we die, uh, what is what is he puts it this way? He says, "What is is mortal is swallowed up by life." In other words, when we die, this he called this body a tent. 
And he said, when we've gone through all of the, the troubles and the tent finally wears out and, 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 and we've laid it to rest, all we're laying to rest is the empty shell, the tent. You know, and he says, we gain. We win. So Satan, go ahead. Take your best shot. Try to use death. And where was Satan's biggest shot taken? At the cross. He managed to bruise the heels of the Savior. But it ended in his defeat. What is mortal is swallowed up by life. I wrote down here in my notes. New bodies, no suffering, new heaven and earth, eternal life. But as I was wrestling through this, I'm thinking, what is it that causes the Beatitudes to be of such a a change in a person that the world actually comes around to hating it? I mean, think about it. You know, it, it, it doesn't. I mean, poor in spirit, mourn, meek, hunger and thirst, merciful, uh, pure in heart, peacemakers. So there's a group of people out there that that have those 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 characteristics. And is that so bad? What is it that drives Christianity to create in other people to 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 cause other people to hate it so? And no small number. And and, and, and and such uh, seriousness in the sense of uh, how they feel about it. Why would a Christian be so much a threat? And it was one of these things, it's just like a light goes on. We're in opposition to what drives man to success in the world. We're the opposite. We've taken a whole different train. We're all of a sudden, and this is for sure was in me, all of a sudden it was gathering wealth, getting someplace, owning that stuff, was no longer the number one thing in my life. It didn't. It didn't disappear. I still, you know, I still like the fact that I live in a home and I have a car and all of these things. But having stuff was was became far less important than being where I believed and 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 sensed God putting me and wanting me. Numbers of people again in my family. My dad was the the primary in that could not gather, could not fathom why I would be putting a successful business on the shelf. I didn't, I, didn't, I never sold it. I, I, I guess there was a point where it could have been sold, uh, but I didn't want to sell it. Uh, and I always thought I might be going back to it. And I had no intention of going into the ministry full time. And uh, my dad was really concerned when I started going to church every Sunday, Wednesdays. Bible study on Tuesdays and potlucks and, and church work days and church retreats and camps and stuff. And he says everything has become church, 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 church. And I think he was kind of right. The church doors were open. My wife and I wanted to be there. Whether to see what was happening, what was going on, and then to be in fellowship with uh, like-minded people. My dad says, I suppose you're giving money to the church. I said, yeah. He says, are you tithing yet? Yeah. Oh. You bought into that too, huh? When it was time to go that I made the decision to go to Bible college, my dad was convinced that I was in a cult or something because I was willing to put all of the typical earthly values on hold for something I felt God was leading us to. And my dad's just before he died, and I was I was with him. I took him to a doctor's appointment. Um, I shared it again with him, the Lord, and he said, "I can see that it's made you happy." And he says, "That works for you. That's fine." But I don't want to, you know, it's not for me. And so, what was it that my dad was so drawn back with? It was for my dad was I had given up all of his values. My value, my dad's values was accumulate. And he was successful, by the way, at doing that. In fact, he was very successful at doing that. And uh, 
He wanted that same success for me. And when I entered into the ministry full-time, he said, I'll never get that. I'll never have that. And it was a disappointment to him. You see, we have a different set of values. And the world looks at that and they said, there's something wrong with you. You're not, you're not coveting. <laughs> you're, not, you're not hungering and thirsting after the right stuff. Still thinking about this and saying, but but even that seems like not enough to really drive this this hate, this 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 disdain for so many that have that so many have for Christ and the church and the gospel. And then I realized all the things that we're talking about can't be accomplished without the working of the Holy Spirit in you. The Holy Spirit indwells. And the light of Christ becomes a part of you. So much so that you're even instructed, don't hide it, don't put anything over it. It needs to be seen. Okay? The light of Christ is in you. What happens to one who's saved is born again. And and, And the world will even say, saved from what? And once you say hell, that even causes a difficulty. And the battle begins. Let me see if I uh, see if I can explain it from, from the way I'm trying to put it together. In Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 10, Paul speaks of a plan of God He says, Blessed be the God, our Father, Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love He predestined us for adoption as as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glory and grace, with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. A plan before the foundation of the world. What was this plan? Well, Philippians chapter 2 says it was that the Son of God would empty Himself and become a man. And in so doing, not only become a man, but He would come to serve man. The Son of God would empty Himself, meaning He would set His glory aside, come to earth, and on earth people would look on Him and not see Him as anything to be recognized or, or set apart. He deserved for every knee to bow, every tongue to confess, but he set that aside. And, and, and so uh, he becomes a man to serve man and even to die for man. John says that in the, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and he was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him there was nothing made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Beginning to see this this picture. The light is in me. The light is in you as you confess Christ as your Savior. As you believe in your heart that He's the Son of God and and you you realize that the light of Christ is working in you. And and Jesus is the light that came into the world and, and, and literally to come into us. That was the plan. Verse 9, it says, The true light which enlightens everyone has, uh, was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through Him, yet the world did not know Him. They couldn't see the light. The light was there. It was in Him. But they didn't see it. They didn't want to see it. Very familiar verse. We see it all the time in, at the, the stadium games and stuff like that. For God so loved the world that... He gave His only Son that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already. Because he's not believed in the name of the only Son of God. 
And this is the judgment. Listen carefully. The light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. You see this picture. First off, I guess the, the one thing would say, do you believe this is an accurate truth? No. The light has come into the world. The light has come into us as, as believers in Jesus Christ. That fallen man lives in darkness. He hates the light because it exposes him. It exposes everything that he hungers and thirsts at as something less than what will please God, as something less than will get him to heaven, as something less than what is righteous and good. The light exposes. It, it can't not do that. As a result, the world turns around and looks at, 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 at Christianity and hates it. Reviles it. Spurns it. Pushes it away. I looked at this and I'm saying, I see this. The, the, the Bible is, is clear on this for me. For this, is, for this to be true, God, for you to see this truth even, God has, had, has, has to open your eyes. The Holy Spirit is giving you understanding. Uh, you could say uh, light is moving into your darkness. Why do you believe He's bringing conviction and transformation it's because it's, it's what the Bible says was the plan before the foundation of the world. When I stand and say that this is God-breathed, I automatically am putting myself at odds with the majority of the world. And especially when I say this is God-breathed and the only God-breathed Word. Again, I say that you read this, it reveals what is true. It is light. It exposes darkness. People do not want it to be real. They don't want it to be true. They want it to be uh, some good stories, some good morals, but please don't make it God-breathed. Because if that's true, then all the stuff that I covet in my darkness, all that I hunger and thirst after, is not enough to deal with what I need to do. I either have to accept or reject this. I remember coming to that point in my life. I either have to accept this as the Word of God or reject it as the Word of God. I couldn't just say some of it's the Word of God. I found that out as I tried to. I'll accept this, but I can't accept that. It's either God-breathed or it's not. If it's God-breathed, then it's true. Why would anybody object to that? Because... It exposes darkness. I want you to be sure that in the context of this idea of persecution, I, I do believe that you'll find that if, if, if the Lord tarries, uh, there will be more persecution, even in our country. I caution you, don't just run to any site on the, the web uh, the internet to to look out and say, you know, well, I want to read up on persecution. You'll find some extremely bizarre sites. Uh, numbers of them extremely politically tied with political agendas. And I'm going to suggest to you that that's not a biblical approach. Uh, there's only one agenda. That's the biblical agenda, God's agenda, and that's that no matter where you are, to spread the gospel, and that He will use persecution to do that. He will use persecution to do that. He has over and over and over again. And so we're not to be afraid of persecution. We are to rejoice and be glad that God is working wherever He puts us and know this absolute truth that no matter what the world throws at Christianity, no matter what Satan throws at the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. The church will never be in jeopardy of not being there. 
I've heard it preached at times. We're only a generation away from the, the, the disappearance of the church. Somebody hasn't understood their word, understood their scripture. The church will always be here. There will always be a spokesperson for God for as long as He tarries. And we rejoice that He might use us. That we might share in any way He wants us to. To proclaim Him, declare Him, and share Him. Even in the midst of persecution. Somebody might you know, say, Bob, have you ever been persecuted? I have a few times. I've had to go through a few things, both uh, publicly in, 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 and, and in workplaces and other, and other places. Nothing to the extent that I see others in the world, so it's hard for me, again, to call it persecution. But have I ever been spurned? Yeah. Have I ever been rejected? Yeah. Have I ever had unkind things said about me? Yeah. Has there ever been strange rumors spread around about me? Yeah. Um, But it's interesting that all in all, through it, God has used even all of those things for His purpose and for for His work and for His shaping and building me up personally. For me, it's kind of a simple picture. If the darkness hates the light, then it stands to reason that anything with light will be hated. If God, and I'm referring to the, the light of, of the Word of God, the light of Christ. If the, if the world, if darkness hates the light that comes from Christ through the Holy Spirit and through His God-breathed Word, then it's going to, to, to you know, anything that, that, that carries that light will be hated too. God's Word is light. You stand on it. The Word is darkness. Uh, the world stands in darkness. And uh, it, will, it hates the Word. It hates those who bring the word. So we're instructed again to rejoice, be glad. Your reward is great in heaven. You are in good company. Again, remember, the prophets even have been persecuted. With that, I was I was going through some stuff, and I was asked a question by, you know, not directly, but through the, something that was written by Ray Pritchard. Are you rejoicing? Or are you resigned? I thought that's a peculiar question. Are you rejoicing? Are you rejoicing that you are in the light and the light is in you and that God is using you even if you are in a time, a place where it's difficult, it's hard, or, 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 or you know, from your perspective you could say the world is pushing it away? Or are you just resigned? Oh, well, this is just the way it is until the Lord comes. I thought that was kind of interesting. Are you just resigned? Because if you're just resigned, it doesn't mean you're not saved. What it means is that you're just kind of like standing there waiting for it to come. And God says, that's not what I want from you. What I want for you is to hunger and thirst after me. And if you hunger and thirst after me as you seek me, I'm going to be able to use you in all sorts of circumstances, even the negative ones. I will use you. God wastes nothing. God's plan before the foundation of the world, so you could call it an eternal plan, shows His love for us while we were yet engulfed in darkness. Christ died for us while we were sinners. He went to the cross for us, paid in full, made peace with God for us. Called us justified meaning that justice had been satisfied. Justice had been paid. The wages of sin had been satisfied. Completely. It was finished. It was done at the cross. Been paid in full. Our strength comes from realizing that the Holy Spirit in us, strengthening us, leading us, guiding us, giving us a confidence that no matter what occurs in the circumstances around us, God is in charge. He's not letting anything slide. He's never not present. He's never late. And that He's prepared to use us in whatever our situations to 
proclaim his gospel and share his life. He has given us strength to stand if we want to stand with him. And uh, I just keep thinking of that, that picture of, you know, don't put the light under a cover. Let it shine. Jesus did indeed pay it all in order for us to be resting in this light, to be resting in His salvation, to be resting with a confidence that allows us to rejoice in the hope of what God has done. And every Sunday we share that in communion. I would ask that you would hold the communion until we've all been served and we'll share together. nothing else to rest in with confidence. We can't rest even in each other in confidence with a sense of, of you know, we're all still in these uh, human bodies. Uh, ad- one person I remember calling him, I have to say it carefully, Adamic bodies uh, in the sense of inherited from Adam. 
and, and we'll fall short. We'll miss the mark. We won't succeed in meeting each other's needs completely. But that doesn't mean we quit, and it doesn't mean that we have, uh, alienate each other and, and say there's no point. What it does is it causes us to strive all the harder and lean all the more on the Holy Spirit with that confidence that God is our stronghold. He is the one who marks the ground. He's the one who gives us the courage to draw a line in the sand, if you will, and say, this is what I believe. I will stand on it. And he did it by accomplishing the purchase of grace, the purchase of the covenant of grace with his own life, with his own blood. The reality that indeed the incarnation The Word of God came to dwell amongst us. He literally came in the flesh. He came a man. And he said that this bread would represent that picture of him, that part of him, until he comes. We're going to share this together. He said, this is my my body. He asked that as often as we would take it, we would do it in remembrance of him. And in the meal, took a cup of wine after giving a blessing, and the blessing that went with it. He, he again, he holds it up and says, "This is my blood poured out for you." And again, he asked us that we would share this cup until he returns. I believe to share it with us in the marriage feast and the celebration of eternity. Let's share the cup together. Father, once again we come to you thanking you, recognizing you alone are worthy of our praise. You alone are the creator of the universe. You alone are the source of our salvation. There is no other name under heaven by which man might be saved other than that of Jesus Christ, Son of God, God in the flesh. Thank you for the words that we can absolutely count on, rest in, and, 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 and will stand for us at all times, it is finished. For that tells us that we rest in your grace, in your mercy. You and you alone have reconciled us. You've paid the debt. Thank you. Lord, don't let us just bask in that, though. As you have come into our lives, there's the Holy Spirit in us, Give us the ability to again recognize we are the light that you have put in the world with the purpose of shining for you. Cause us to be aware of what's going on around us. That we would have your eyes, your ears, your heart, your thoughts and be your hands in our families, together in our congregation, in the church and even as we minister to to other parts of the church around the world in missions, Uh, as we spread the the gospel, cause us to also realize that wherever it is you put us for today is our mission field. And that it's extremely important that we let the light shine. We worship you. We praise you. We thank you. We rejoice in you. In Jesus' name.